Welcome to This Game Scare. I'm Creepy Chris, and over there is Ashley. Just normal Ashley. No, nope, It's just nope. normal Ashley. Ashley. No. No, I'm just Ashley. Nope. No, no, not today. Yeah. It's Halloween. No, it's not. It's Sunday. I was I was really... It's not really, even Sunday. I was really, really proud of that. I, I channeled, oh, okay. I, cha- I channeled the, the Treehouse of Horror... When are you? When are you not proud of your every other one? Silly intros. Every other one. Bullshit. The face that you pull when you're saying those silly intros. The the face that I pull is because I'm anticipating just the vitriol, the the anger. Yeah, that is me. So it's it's just a bit of a game. That's why I do it. It's just to amuse myself, really. Okay, a different way to say that is to wind me up. Yeah, antagonize. Yeah. Mm. Cool. But it's Halloween you are, today. I'm, I'm great. Oh, 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 no. oh, how are you? Is this going to be an hour of just you doing the no, Monster Mash I'm, I'm cheap version? Now. Okay, great. Good. 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 Yeah. Good. Um, I've, I've read um, Dracula this week in preparation for Halloween. Hmm. Right. Have you, first time or? My first time. Right. You like it? I did like it. I liked it a lot. The, the yeah. bit. The bit. The first bit where it's all about him in the castle, uh, there's a bit where he sees, where Jonathan Harker sees Dracula climbing down the wall, and it, it made me do a little shiver. It was it was quite chilling. Yeah, it's good. Cool. I studied it. Did you? I studied mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Boring. I know, it's good. Well, it's not boring. But there we go. You're boring. There Have you go. done anything for Halloween this week? No. Oh. Do you, like what? I, I went know. to work. There you go. Went to work. What are you going to do on Halloween itself? Nothing. Close the curtains. Great. Why? What are you doing? Well, nothing really. But I'm just trying to trying to just chat about Halloween, get people excited. Oh. It's, it's it's the season. Tis the season. You you're doing you're doing you you're doing a Halloween game, aren't you? Yeah, I am. So I'm I'm getting you all greased up juiced ready. Juiced up. Yeah, juiced up. Do you want to do the, the spiel then? Please. Okay, well this week we're doing this game where you explore the kingdom of Galomir hacking and slashing and it was released ready for halloween 25 years ago this week no no well no i i would guess it's medieval because that's 90 like late 90s yeah okay i don't don't know anything about medieval but 98 was the tip off there um so yeah i didn't play medieval i saw it it looked like i liked the cover Mm. of the of medieval i liked the character um, but yeah, didn't really play it. Yeah, Daniel Sorry. Fortescue, the character. No, I didn't think you would have done because it's a, a PlayStation joint. It so is. You didn't have access to it. Yes, I've so played a lot of those, so. Pardon? Through my hooky mate. Oh, I see. But you never played this one? Nope, never. Right. Well, from what I remember, it's pretty good, so I'm quite looking forward to playing this. Uh, uh, Medieval is an action adventure hack and slash type game. Have we done any hack and slashing games before? Mm, it's a good question. I'm not as good at remembering what we've done as you, so off the top of my head, I would say probably not. No, depends how it depends how you look at it. Because like the um, like golden, like golden axe, axe, streets of rage, you could kind yeah, of yeah, beat, in beat the same. Ups. Mm. Yeah, and and with um, especially with golden axe having weapons, you could maybe argue that that's a hack and slash. Yes, because there's a lot of similarity between. Hack and slash and beat em ups, I would say. Distinction, though, 
there's probably finer distinctions that I'm not overly aware of because I know that I would I would probably term like God of War a hack and slash, but I wouldn't really suggest that it could be called a beat 'em up. Okay. Um so maybe maybe there's more of a distinction than I'm I'm allowing for. Possibly. We we haven't done God of War anyway, so it's uh it's a, a moot. No we point, haven't no, so. I was just um And Medieval is a single single player game and it released as I said October nineteen ninety eight for the PlayStation One. Yay! PlayStation One The game thank you. The game was developed by Sony Computer Entertainment Cambridge and we've encountered them in the last thirty or so episodes because that was the same team that created James Pond, which we covered back in episode one four seven. Really? Hmm. Right. Great. Okay. Uh, the company itself started in July 1997, so I think it was the the team that made James Ponds then sort of rose from the ashes and became so yeah. entertainment Cambridge. Mm. Started July 1997 and were renamed Gorilla Cambridge in January 2012, and then Sony closed them in January 2017, so they are no more. Well, very ap- apt for Halloween. Well, yeah, I guess so. Uh, the, the plus of the game is you are well. The game is set in med- the medieval kingdom of Galamir in 1286, where an evil sorcerer named Zarok has unleashed an undead army to take over. <gasps> cliche klaxon alert. I, do, I don't know. Is cliche mm, is cliche klaxon? Is that a thing that you've stolen from somebody else? It feels like it is. No, I just thought as I was writing that, I was thinking mm, undead army, sorcerer, medieval times. So I was trying to, I was trying to bring a bit of levity. Uh, you play as Sir Daniel Fortescue, who was a gallant knight who had been the person who had slain Zarek in the first place before dying himself. And as the game plays through, you're playing as his hero, Sir Daniel Fortescue, and it transpires that actually Fortescue had been killed by the very first arrow shot during the battle, the, this final showdown with Zarok, and the king had decided to cover it up because Daniel Fortescue was his big muscly, fearsome warrior that was, you know, going to be the person who actually killed Zarok, and then he fell at the first hurdle, so it was a big big cover-up to sort of, uh, to make the king sound better than actually was. So... Right. I th- I th- that's quite funny. Yeah, no, it's fine. I think... I, I, I think I'm in one of those moods, so I'll I'll apologise now. Okay, one of those moods. And well, when- I, I think partly. To be honest, let me just... I think you've been in one of those moods as well in the past. Like, sometimes the game just doesn't resonate with you. Okay. And do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, that was the, that the card th- game we did recently that I was just not, not into at all. Was there? Which card game was that? That, the one that we did on Steam. So I can't remember the name of it. A card game? Yeah. We had monsters. You were battling. Anyway, so... Uh, this- I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it was, but... um. Even like it's just I I think the idea of going back and playing a, a hack and slash PlayStation One game it sounds good, sort of. But actually, I think in practice this is going to be one of those. It's, I think this is going to be a bit of a oh no, oh. one. Okay, but we'll, well, we'll see. I, I I'll try I'll try and be brighter. I'll try and be happier about what we're doing right now. Yeah, that sounds good. It's I'd, definitely I'd it's it. definitely not a waste of our lives. It's fine. We're spending our time well. It's fine. We're good. Keep going. Let's keep going. What a what a sobering thought. It's definitely not a waste of our lives. Jeez. It's not. You're right. All right. 
So when Zarak casts this spell to, to unleash the undead army, he accidentally brings Fortescue <laughs> back as well. But obviously Fortescue had been killed during battle, so he'd been buried in his armor. So he is brought back as a skeleton in a suit of armor. And that is the character you play as, a skeleton in a suit of armor. And Daniel Fortescue sees this as an opportunity to kill Zarak once and for all, to redeem himself and thereby enable himself to ascend to the Hall of Heroes. The game has this whole thing with almost like kind of like viking mythology i suppose where you've got the if you were the the bravest of the brave warriors uh was it, it was the valkyries wasn't it in in norse mythology that they would yeah. take you to the hall of heroes and i think it has that has that here so he's seeing this as a way to finally get himself into the hall of heroes because he didn't the first time around lovely how romantic what a wonderful uh setup for a game genuinely actually i'm being i'm being facetious but it it, it does sound good i think as so a, as a setup yeah and so, as a motivation, great. So a link to the Hall of Heroes, each of the levels, and I, re- I remember there's a lot of levels, and I think there's an overworld as well, I can't quite remember. Um, the Each level has got a thing called the Chalice of Souls, that as you hack and slash and kill enemies, their souls top up the chalice, and once the chalice, um, what's the phrase, brimeth over? Yeah, if you like, I, Ruth, I don't think Ruth it's a over. phrase. And as w- once the chalice runneth over and you have the chalice filled up, you will then receive a, re- a re- reward from the Hall of Heroes, such as weapons and things like that, which will presumably make subsequent levels a little bit easier. As you're battling through, you can use lots of different weapons. There are close-range weapons, there are long-range weapons, and you can also interact with scenery. You can also, if you're in a bit of a bind and you've run out or something, you can rip off Fortescue's arm and use that to uh, not tickle enemies, but fight enemies. Nice. Nice. There are 23 levels, and you can only access the true ending if you get the chalice filled up in every single level. Now, I found this game really, 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 really difficult. So I had to use a cheat to open all the levels, and there was a cheat, and I can I could still remember when I was getting my notes together for this, I could still remember the cheat for the game. I think I got this game Christmas 1999, so this is practically 25 years that this this has been buried in my memory because it's quite a good cheat Mm. the cheat code is it uses the playstation control pad if you imagine up is u down is d left is l and right is r triangle is t circle is o i think that was it it's then basically using those letters t o u d l r the cheat codes are all kind of words and phrases that use permutations of those four letters. So okay. the the big cheat code that I used that gave you invincibility and unlocked all the levels was to toot loud, roll troll to door. Okay. So it's a I, clever. It is a clever, is clever. way of, of organizing your um your cheat codes to make them more memorable. Yeah. Than than just button combos, but up down left um, right. That made no sense. So it doesn't make sense. I'm taking issue with that. There you go. But I imagine with that those six letters, it's probably quite limited as to what you can actually write and whether it could be semantically correct. I yeah. guess. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I got about three or four levels into the game and found it too tricky, and then used that cheat code and then had invincibility. And I think I just kind of went into each level and had a bit of a play about and. That was how I played the game. I distinctly remember there is a level set in a cornfield with scarecrows that come to life. And there's a little intro FMV when you go into the level of a scarecrow in the foreground. And as, as 
um, Fortescue walks past in the background, it kind of turns and looks at him or it turns to look at the camera or something. And I found that, I was 13, I think, when I was playing this, I found it so creepy. Mm. So Breaking the fourth wall. Halloween-y. Well, it's just the whole, like, um, like Goosebumps. In, in the Goosebumps books, I found the ones that were about things coming to life, like the living dummy. And there was one about snowmen that came to life. And there was, there was a couple about scarecrows. I found those ones really, really scary. The ones like about like the haunted mask or the say cheese and die, the camera, fine with those. The ones about things, the everyday things that came to life, that are humanoid in, in appearance, did not mm. like those. So I think <laughs> the scarecrow was, was that as well. There was also, yeah. I remember an episode, Drumper, um, Around the Twist. The I've Oscar. got it on DVD. Have you? Why have you got that on DVD? Because it's really good. Is it? Is it? Yeah, it is. Oh, it is. It is really okay. good, yeah. Well, there was an episode of that that I must have been about five that I watched where there was a scarecrow and it chased them up the lighthouse and I can I can still even now remember the shots of the scarecrow chasing it and I found it absolutely terrifying. Mm. There's, um, mm, there, yeah, okay. There's a thing in uh, Australian film... Uh, tradition called the or not just Australian to be honest uh, like Australasia um, including New Zealand uh, Peter Jackson's a part of this kind of tradition it's called the uh, Australian Gothic okay. and yeah there's it, it's a bit of a I don't know whether it was a, a considered thing but there was certainly this aesthetic that was adopted in the way that they uh, shot films uh, the way that they framed certain scenes or uh, or shots um, that was to heighten the grotesqueness of of the human, um, and there was also, if you think things like Brain Dead, Peter Jackson's Brain Dead, and um, the Frighteners, the, those two films, so you'll you'll find that there are these really quite obscurely angled shots that that make real emph- that really emphasise like the weirdness of someone's nose or the weirdness right. of someone's the shape of their face or something like that, and and it was all to try and make like this to to create this distance or gap between the the audience and the and the viewer and around the twist even though it's a children's uh television show um it kind of embraces some of the um aesthetics of the australian gothic movement. the shots i can the shots i can remember was you kind of look in the lighthouse stairs and the scarecrow is going up and it comes in from the right and it kind of goes so it's facing the camera and then it passes the camera and then you can see it's back as it goes up the left mm. and it, i think it had his arms stretched out like a scooby-doo villain it was as it was chasing them yeah um but that would kind of go in with that wouldn't it the, the close-up yeah. of it i mean mm. maybe not quite to the extent you, you said about with noses and stuff but uh <laughs> oh there were a lot there were lots of other there were lots of other elements to australian gothic and the, and the way that they created that aesthetic but um yeah, it ran the twist just as a lot of it. Even just the casting of its actors, like there's the kids, and the kids are quite uh, sort of. Uh, I know this isn't what I'm supposed to be talking about. Sorry, the kids. Yes, right. The kids are kind of like quite, um, if you think traditionally normal looking, but when you when you extend out to the supporting characters, even their dad, their dad's kind of like a transitional character between um, the uh, beatific uh, children. Um, who are our avatars, and and then the outside world, the the villains, if you like, the, if you remember the the family that lived down the road, they were all kind of a little bit um, a little bit off the beaten track in the way that they looked. Do you know what I mean? So even just the casting, um, and that that's something that casting in in Australian Gothic films would do as well. Like they were they were kind of looking for characterful people. They weren't looking for uh, Kylie Minogue. They were looking for um, they were looking for uh, 
not quite the elephant man, but they were looking for people that had very somewhere in between specific uh, physical profiles. Right. I, I don't remember anything about Run the Twist at all, other than that shot oh. of that episode. So, well, it's really good. Yeah. Well, I'm, yeah, I'll it's take really, your word for I, it. I um, oh, segue tangent, whatever. Um, still, I just think I think that, and I'm sure that lots of adults believe this of their own childhood um experiences uh, across the board but the 90s was like this boom time for children's media and there are certain things that i think that i would like to share with other people if if i got the chance so like things like the moomins the moomins was mm-hmm. uh, an, an anime that made it over here um and was was big on our television um i've got those on dvd yeah, i um, love, love the moomins do you ever watch <coughs> the 80s the stop motion with I didn't like that so much. I think the anime version is like the the essential version of the Moomins. I think it's just so gentle um, in in the way it presents um, that, and, and I think the animation is a part of that. It kind of has this uh, it has this Ghibli esque thing without mm. being Ghibli. You know, like there's, there's those quiet contemplative moments that that uh, puncture the action of Spirited Away. Say. Um, the, the being on the train for example you know like just riding on the train um and i think the moomins uh anime is just made up of those um you got little mai who punctures the the quiet moments um and then other things uh as well but uh, we're very sidetracked sorry i got right. i got i just i have a lot of those different things from things. from television in the 90s uh, on dvd and well, Round the Twist is one of them. That Round the Twist thing, that I, I'd not thought about that for a while, and just that whole idea of Scarecrow just, just triggered that memory in me. So, mm. uh, yeah, yeah. There you Thank go. you for bringing it back. It's, um, yeah, it's very good. Yeah. Well, uh, so the history of the game. The game began development in 1995, and Chris Sorrell, who was the James Pond head honcho, had the idea for the game. It was initially called Dead Man Dan, and was touted as a 3D update of Ghosts and Goblins, which I've never played of you. Yes, I've got that on the SNES. We will uh, we'll come back to it. It's one of those games that's really in the uh, well, the, the, the Hall of Heroes. That's why it's um, it's one of those big big hitters. But also, as you said, it is hard from what I'm saying. Yeah, it's actually. I think it's on the SNES Mini as well. I think it might have been on there, which okay. uh, I got somewhere as well. So, uh, so it, two copies. It, it's a 3D update of ghosts and goblins and they also wanted it to have a nightmare before christmas art style i'm not sure personally if that comes through in the in the finished game but it's just something for us to to bear in mind as we're playing it when and you say that um there was an actual I, I don't know if it was a sequel or whether it was a spiritual successor but there was a game called maximo that uh came out i think it was a playstation 2 game as a playstation as opposed to playstation 1 but that was very definitely uh, build as as follow up of of a kind to Ghosts and Goblins. No, I've never heard um, that. No, he he has the same. Oh, it was quite big. Like it it was well liked as well. Um, I I think I've got it on the PlayStation Three, like as a download or something. But um, you are a you are a, a little fella in in armor, and when you get hit, your armor will fly off in exactly the same way as in Ghosts and Goblins. You end up in your pants. Um, and then if you get a hit when you're in your pants, you, you'll die and have to start again. Obviously. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that Medieval was built that way. Hmm. Um, 
but not in an official capacity. I can't remember no. if Max. Yeah, I can't remember if Maximo was was billed as just billed that way, or whether it was officially uh, a follow up. It had a sequel as well, so um, it, it definitely. It, it wasn't a fly by night, like oh, we'll have a go and then it'll fall off the face of the earth. They were, they were quite successful, I believe. Right. No, there we go. Uh, the so the number four Christmas art style also came through as well. The the brief for the people that made the music was they were told to make it Danny Elfman. That was what they were told to do. And again, whether I've made a note of that when we're playing it, whether that comes through in the actual music itself as well. So I think when I played this game, I don't think I'd seen The Nightmare Before Christmas at that point. No, I came to that film very late mm. as well. So I wouldn't have. Late as in 10 years after this. Sort of late. Yeah, that's, um, yeah probably not too far for me actually as well. Um, it was initially going to be on multiple platforms before Sony swooped in and offered the team an exclusivity deal on the caveat that the game had to have dual shock support. And uh, the right. d- developers liked the idea of redemption and they thought players would find it endearing. However, the game didn't sell well in Japan because Japanese people did not like the idea of playing as a skeleton. So what they did was they added in in Japan only. The character had a helmet added in to try and mitigate that. So mm. the, the players were still playing as a skeleton, but they couldn't physically see it on screen as much. Okay, cool. When they were developing, they played a lot of Mario 64 and Crash to understand 3D platforming. Now, I think when we talked about Banjo-Kazooie last year, that that the development team of that also played a lot of Mario 64 to understand 3D platforming. That sort of rang a bell. I'm hardly surprised. It's not what I was thinking. Um, I don't don't remember um, whether we said that, but um, it would not be a surprise at all. I would imagine, first off, like, pretty much everyone at that period whether whether they're a developer or not whether they're making a platformer or not will have been playing Mario 64 if they can get their hands on it Uh, and then secondly it's it's a no-brainer a complete no-brainer if you are planning a 3d platformer at that point post Mario 64 the first thing you do is play Mario 64 for, for two reasons to see all of the different things that should be and eventually did become standards um, in 3D platformers, but also how the hell are we going to differentiate ourselves from this and still <laughs> be uh, as fantastic as Mario 64 was? It, it, yeah, you can't you can't ignore the elephant in the room when you're trying to make an elephant. You have to you have to get your hands around it. And I think that first point you made there is the thing that, that I found interesting is that Mario 64, it just, it was the first, was it the, the first 3D platformer? No, I don't no. think it was the first 3D platformer, but it was the one that just went, this is what 3D platformers are supposed to be, people. Come on. Precisely. And the fact that it was done, it's the first Mario 3D platformer uh, regardless. And the fact yeah. that it then just set the template for everything that came after in that field, it it really, it really amazes me. Yeah. Me too. Uh, Daniel Fortescue has also got there's a worm poking out of his skull, and there was plans for a there were plans for a level where you'd be inside his skull controlling the worm, which I quite like as an idea, but it was cut for time unfortunately. And my favourite fact about it was that um, 
Daniel, he, he hasn't got a lower jaw, so he's talking, he's just got the upper jaw there, so his, his, his voice is very muffled. I don't think it's very clear at all, obviously, because he hasn't got the lower jaw. So the voice actor that records his lines recorded all of his lines while wearing a bucket in order to create oh, yeah. mm. a semblance of the noises and the cadence, but also to then uh, make them quite muffled, which I thought was a, a pretty cool fact. Yeah. Uh, the game has got 80% on game rankings, and it released on the Platinum range in 1999 because it sold over 400,000 copies in its first year of release. And I think I got it, well, I got it in Christmas 99, I think, and it was definitely the Platinum version I got. The How Long to Beat timings are 9 hours and 15 and a half if you want to go for the 100%. And final fact, kind of unrelated to this, the game Medieval itself, but there are a lot more games linked to the Medieval time period than I actually realised there were. When I was looking into this game um did you know that was a sims medieval version uh was it it wasn't a full-fledged game it was an expansion oh was it oh okay i i i i don't know i i obviously i don't know is the answer i there's like a dredging of my mind Mm. uh the the canals in my brain um makes me think that it was it was a an expansion I like the idea of, of doing a Sims game in a castle and having all the trappings that come with that. I think that's that's pretty cool, personally. Yeah, it's it's a sensible way to broaden out the uh, the the franchise as well because yeah. it just means that you can. What do you need to do for that? You don't need to create new mechanics or or new systems. You you create new costuming and maybe new dialogue options within that system. So yeah, it's a sensible way to to build out. I think actually I, I hadn't joined the dots there, but Two Point Hospital. I'm sure there was a DLC pack with that that was set in medieval times. That was all about you know right. cu- curing the plague and pestilence and how that worked. That um, we kind of did the same sort of thing as what you just said. Really, it's just taking the, the actual core game, just putting a different skin on. But I'd guess also with Two Point Hospital, you've then got the how it's going to be more alchemists and things like that, isn't it? As mm. opposed to actual doctors. But yeah, there you go. Apparently, I just googled it while we. I- I just searched it while we were talking. The Sims Medieval is a standalone game, so ah. I don't know. My canals are very mucky. Um, <laughs> I'd heard that. I, me too. Uh, too many times. Um, uh, uh, t- in in too uh, too official in a capacity as well. Uh, but leave that behind. Um, well, I don't know what you mean by like. Oh, there's lots of medieval based games because like surely. To me, medieval is like a catch-all for high fantasy everything. Like that's where mm-hmm. most high fantasy stuff takes place. I meant in this, like games in this like nebulous medieval period. I meant games set in the Middle Ages, like but that are that are real, like not like your, your fantasy and dragons type games like actual games yeah. set in the medieval okay. period the middle ages like there's a, there's a lot more when i when i initially googled medieval uh the game itself being a pun that the title i'm sure you'd have noticed by now in the mm. name of the episode uh, is medieval so it's m-e-d-i and then capital e-v-i-l so medieval pun on the word medieval with a-l at the end but when i initially googled it it brought just brought up games that had the word medieval a-l in the title and there were loads yeah mm. Which ones, uh, other than oh, Sims I, Medieval? I Kingdom Come is, um, is it Kingdom Come? Where you are a character in a, you know, again, medieval in brackets because 
or in high, uh, air quotes, because um, me medieval is a weird term. I don't know if you touched on that in your English language studies, but medieval is like a weird like catch-all for, for a period that we don't really know that much so about. It's similar to the Dark Ages sort of hundreds thing. Hundreds of like years, it. doesn't it? Yeah, kind exactly. Of like a loose yeah. kind of... Yeah, yeah. Kind of well, that was the medieval that. period. Yeah, exactly. Um uh, so it's hard to know when you're saying, oh, it's medieval. What are you specifically talking mm. about? But um, Kingdom Comes, one that is sort of castles and serfs and lords and manors and things. Um, and you start off as, I, I think, quite a lowly character. And it's very, like, it's hyper-realistic. That's like its, um, that's its selling point. And I don't mean graphically, I mean, like, you're a serf and your life is drudgery in hell. And you, if if you end up in a fight in a bar, the chances are you're going to get your eye stabbed out or whatever. If, okay. if you're, if you're fighting in a sword fight and you get a nick on the arm while well, your arm's going to drop off after a couple of weeks because of the festering uh, wound. Um, I, I have not played kingdom come and people that have played kingdom come are almost <laughs> certainly shouting about how little I seemingly know about it, but my own, that's my understanding of it. That there's that the the cell is this is a high highly realistic simulation of medieval life. Well, medieval the game playing today certainly isn't because you're playing as a skeleton wandering around killing the undead. Yay! Scary. Uh, it wasn't that scary. Come on. Is that us? Are we started? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> no, it was <laughs> I can't believe that's how we're doing it. Um it was it no, it wasn't it wasn't scary at all, was it? But it was pretty good. Like I was surprised. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I mean this is now the second week in a row. I can't remember what before City Starline, but it's where we've come into it and I've got nothing but praise for this game. I think it's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the things the things that you could maybe knock it for are actually you just have to give it a bit of a a bit of a pass on. So if we if we kind of touch on some of those first and then and then talk about the the rest of the good stuff. Um it it maps certain things to certain buttons in ways that to a modern standard don't really make sense. So there's two sh uh, two shoulder buttons, L1 and R1, that are empty. They don't have anything mapped to them. But then to select your, and there's the operative word, to select your weapons, to choose between your different weapons, you use the select button. Um, I, I think it was about this time that we started to question as a, you know that as a standard like having the select button for selecting things and it would it would make sense to have that now on on a on a shoulder button yeah especially when they're empty options yeah uh, the uh, again running 
you in order to toggle running you double tap i don't mind a double tap on no. the direction pad but um you could maybe map that to so one of those goes an r1 one of those goes an r1 holding allows you to to run uh, uh or select weapons so that that's a minor gripe um i think i think that it's the combat is a bit like the, the combat's com- a big part of the game the combat in these first few levels that we've played were very repetitive. The combat was very repetitive. We were just hammering square and just bashing square and aiming. And you could hold down square to do a supercharged attack, which is, again, very standard for these. I do think in later levels it would get harder. But Yeah. It's whether I want harder or I want more interesting. I, mm. I'm i quite happy to batter through some enemies. I, I'm quite easy. I'm, I'm quite happy to have a combat system that is easy but I'd like it to to be engaging. I think engagement is the thing that I'm more interested in here rather than the the difficulty. So I'm fi- I find it a little bit lacking in that area, like just in terms of engagement. Um, but at the same time, there is some degree... Like one of the reasons I used to like Dynasty Warriors games was because you just mowed through hundreds of enemies. You don't have hundreds of enemies here, but that is, you know, PlayStation 1 technology maybe yeah i don't know um the enemies and and lastly i think the enemy ai is a little bit ropey you 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 can be wandering around a field for days with some of these zombies and they won't realize that you're there and then you can walk into the exact same type of enemy another time and it will it will recognize you from a mile off so there's a little bit of inconsistency in in that they are are zombies though so yeah they're not the smartest they're my they're my moans that's it yeah despite those things and this is a big big thing and i think it's a fair thing to say despite those things i still enjoyed the game yeah so um yeah i i was quite surprised because i was i was bemoaning the notion uh well i was bemoaning the game and i was floating the notion that uh i felt like maybe this was going to be one of those disappointing uh affairs but it's not no, not at all. I've got lots and lots that I really enjoy about this game, so I'm going to run mm. through now. Uh, so firstly, the music. I said in the first half about Danny Elfman. It is very Danny Elfman, this music. Yeah, it's really well done. Yeah, yeah I really like the soundtrack. Yeah, and the, the sounds, so that's the soundtrack, but also the sounds. I really liked the first half of the graveyard. There was ambience, like shuffle, I could hear zombies in the distance, and then there was like yeah. a, th- a thunderstorm, like occasional uh, rumbles of thunder that I could hear, and uh, I thought I that walked was up to really a- nice. I walked up to a lava pit and it was bubbling. Oh, so, I didn't like that, it, actually. Yeah, there were there were lots of really just nice uh, no, and well executed, well um, well implemented sound effects uh, to to create a really lovely sound um, soundscape. So yes, I think I the, totally the, agree. The visuals also that as well. Like everything is very the the ambience, the the style of it. Like the, this this graveyard. The fact there were some graves with this, and then there's some wooden ones, and that was like yeah, flickering fires. Like everything, it created this coherent world that I was exploring as Daniel Fortescue. Yeah, I, I, I don't even notice in the second level that the mausoleum, the the hill up to the mausoleum, when the Zarok was up doing his speech about how ah, oh, I'll get you this time, Fortescue, that there were two faces carved in, into the mausoleum wall either side of him. It would be like a, the, those masks from Greek plays, one happy, one sad. And they didn't yeah. have to be there, but they were. And I just thought it was a really nice little touch. Yes, agreed. 
uh, what else did I like? Um, uh, visually, I, I think that the the game, I think PlayStation games tend to be a little bit noisy a lot of the time. And we've, we talked, I think when we did, um, was it Siphon Filter? We talked about that weird um, sort of shifting textures thing that was uh, a part and parcel of, of PlayStation games. How, how he, how, you know, like you might have a wall and the wall might move around when you move from place to place in the stage when you when you're looking at it from different perspectives um that was here um as well we we had that and and there was a degree of noisiness to some of the textures uh that were present especially wall textures but overall i actually think that i i've kind of thought of playstation games as a bit muddy this here it had quite a weirdly for for a game based around zombies and um you know medieval times it had quite a vibrant uh vibrant presentation yeah. and that that really served it well to make sure that everything was very readable on the screen um characters stood out really wonderfully zarok when he was stood outside his uh awful mausoleum he, he he's like a brown character he just popped out uh from everything around him so like that was just a really good uh, a really good example, I think, of of how they they got their color matching. Uh, well, whatever that is, you know, like their color contrast, their color selections. Yeah, exactly. They got that. They did that well. They did a good job of that. I liked his his voice during that speech as well. The guy that provided his voice is one of those people. I I didn't jot down his name, but he's someone who. Popped up in lots of like, yeah. yeah, like lots of 1970s. I think he's been Doctor Who, like oh, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, but he he died, has died within the last sort of, ten years or so. So there was in one of the more recent uh, in interpretations of this game, there is some sort of tribute to him. Um, but his voice acting was good. I, that also extended the other characters, the gargoyles. That their, their voice mm. was very reminiscent of Gollum, and this mm. was obviously pre Lord of the Rings as well. But I, I like it was. It, just so atmospheric, the the way they were they were sneering and talking to Fortescue in the Hall of Heroes when I did the first level and filled up the chalice and went to the Hall of Heroes. The guy I was talking to, the way he was being a bit toadying towards Fortescue as well, I realised that's a bit of character coming through. Yeah, so some of this, some of the elements of character on show kind of put me in mind of Discworld. I don't know if that was something that was in the developers' yeah, heads, but that crossed it, my it, mind there was definitely. As well. But both the the world as a in as a general sort of the feel the general feel of it, um, but also specifically the Discworld game. We talked quite a lot about the voice acting um, mm. in that when we were playing it, and I think some of the voice acting here kind of uh, and maybe it's a genre thing. Maybe it's like people following generic conventions in terms of the characters they're trying to present. But um, I, I think it I think it was a, a strength regardless of what they were doing or why they were doing yeah. it. I think it was a, ma- a massive strength. And actually, I really the, enjoyed the, the voices. The, the intro cutscene, which was quite long, as FMV, but really good, considering this is a PlayStation yeah. 1 game from 1998. Mm. I, I was very, very impressed by the, the cutscene, the quality of it. It actually made me think of um, exploring Unseen University in the first Discord game, the style of it. And again, mm. you said it's that's a bit of a, a genre trope, I suppose. But it just, yeah, they look good. And yeah, the, the intro cutscene, very, very, very impressive as well. Yep. Um, yeah. A camera, you sort of said about camera. Um, they didn't say about camera, that was when you're L2 and R2, yeah. So, yeah, said, um, we, we talked about how this was kind of 
this came out alongside Spyro and how the L2R2 to, to move the camera left and right was in Spyro as well. So maybe this was the genesis of that being how you control the camera in 3D platforming. But with this one, it feels I liked, sensible, doesn't it? To uh, it, it, it does. in the absence of, oh, I mean, that's something that we need to talk about actually, the dual shot thing. But we'll pick that up again. In the what I was going to say is, in the absence of a second uh, stick to control your camera. It makes sense to to map it to L L two and R two. You've got the directionality of the buttons in the names themselves, uh, which will help you in terms of well, if I press this, it'll move it left, and then press it, it'll move it right. It, I don't imagine that it was um, they they weren't talking to each other, Spyro's developers and and Medieval's developers. It's just that they happened upon the same um, solution around about the same time, nineteen ninety eight. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, it makes us. That's also something that wasn't in Mario. Mario had that very dynamic camera that followed him around, and that you could center, that you could recenter on his back. But but for all intents and purposes, it was out of your control for the most part. Yeah, you also had like the uh, the first person type camera, and you could mm. kind of move it around with the C C buttons. But it was. I, I kind of feel like I think that's the solution that we've got here with the L two and R two to pan around your character. I kind of prefer that to the to the implementation of camera control in Mario 64. I always felt like I wasn't in control in Mario 64. But it's then maybe that was the point. It was trying to take take that uh, complexity away from the player. Potentially. But this is, like you say, it's simple, it's clean. You just want to go left, you want to go right. Easy peasy. I also yeah, noticed there a few points where I had Daniel positioned quite close to a wall that when I was trying to scroll, if the camera was unable to go around him cleanly it would then zoom in quite dynamically and if i held those buttons down it would then zoom out again once it was able to do so now i, I yeah could think of some 3d platforms where it would just get as far as the wall and then stop and then you'd be stuck and have to rotate around the other direction so the fact that they thought about that and implemented that like that in this game i thought was yeah. again very impressive we've said it before a 3d platformer if the camera isn't implemented well the whole game falls down around you whereas well, on this face. yeah it, it is done very very well Yes, yeah. Uh, dual Shock. Then we, I said in the first half that Sony signed to have Dual Shock support as part of their exclusivity deal, and neither of us could actually get the Dual Shock working. So, nope, not sure it what happened there. immediately for D pad. Yeah, um, no, that might be something to to look into um, and see if we can figure out. But yeah, it, it wasn't for it wasn't for the worse. Like controlling. Controlling 3D anything, controlling anything in a 3D space doesn't feel ideal on a D-pad, but the the character controls in Medieval, they feel on the best end, the very best end, frankly, of, of controlling a character in a 3D space with a D-pad. If it was mapped to a stick, then all the better, but um, I didn't necessarily feel the lack, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. I was just surprised because you'd say you'd specifically mentioned yeah. it in the first half and then it wasn't yeah, not maybe sure. it just didn't work out um do we know when ape escape came out because ape escape i think was certainly maybe not the first game with dual shock but it certainly was uh i think it was sold alongside the the dual shock controller um so. and touted well, as the game ape escape was the one that you you had to have the dual shock you couldn't play it without the dual shock that's right yeah so that just, was... while, just while you're looking into that then, the, the other thing with the controls, you, you talked about the running already, but there was a really nice touch with this where if you're running and then change direction, he did a little skid and to then change direction. And that was just, as you said, the character, the way you controlled him, it was just, it was so, so tight in every sense. It was very, very good. Yeah. Um, Apescape was 1999. 
So mm. after this, which is interesting. So I've just had a, li- a little look and uh, Apescape came out in 1999. That was the, as you've said, the first game that required DualShock. Um, and, and when we say DualShock, I, I think we're in the context of what I'm about to say, we need to be clear it was the analog sticks that, yes. that it mandated in Apescape. Uh, Medieval, from from the look of it, it, it supported the DualShock's vibration function, but it did not support the analog sticks for right. the DualShock. So if that makes sense to me again. We're in this transitional period, moving from the first controller for the PlayStation 1 into uh, the era of DualShock, DualShockery. Um, and, and the vibration was actually, again, a big thing. There was like this, I, I don't know if you're familiar with this being in existence. I don't think it really um, did did great numbers, but there was a non-DualShock controller without the sticks that also did have vibration. Oh, was that, that existed. Right. Yeah. This is a transitional period, like 98 into 99. We're moving from the, the stickless uh, era into uh, what, what became the standard, like having a pair of a pair of sticks, analog sticks to control cameras and, and characters. Um, so it kind of makes sense to me. Like they, they've gone, well, what is the feature set of the DualShock? We can probably implement vibration, uh, but but what, the the rest is too far mm. um, beyond us or something. I don't it know. It seems fair. The, and vibration is now standard, isn't it? Have you noticed, actually, as, an, as an aside, have you noticed the vibration function in Mario Wonder? How, how... I've heard about it. I, so oh. I'm playing it on a. Um, I've I'm playing it on a uh, an eight bit Do controller, the eight bit oh, Do Ultimate okay. controller, and I don't know if I'm missing out because of that because I get quite strong vibrations. But what I think you're going to tell me is about this the music that it plays. Yeah. yeah so I'm when, not when, getting that. When you're across music blocks, it will create different pitches as you go across you can almost play it like a piano mm. and i noticed that the the controllers was vibe was vibrating at the same time making the same sounds and i was well there's, there's no speaker here so what it's doing is it, it's making the the joy cons vibrate at a specific amount to create frequency a, a, a frequency yeah. so I, how how incredible is that so there well you. yeah that i mean that is how speakers work so you have a little membrane and the membrane vibrates at particular frequencies and that's what causes the sound so it 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 compresses the air in front of the the membrane in the speaker and that that. then that that's how sound works that that's how our mouths work (laughs) like it's air compression um so vibrations yeah that's that's the general principle behind electronic sound every day is a school day i've learned something new Mm. i'm looking at looking at speakers over there right in front of me now Mm. So, so Hall, Hall of Heroes. The I realised when I, I did the first level, I found the chalice, which was a, a small puzzle to get at, which I had to figure out. But I liked that I had to figure it out. There was no help text yep. or anything. I had to puzzle that out. But very simple. Anyway. Mm. Got into the Hall of Heroes, and then it's then there were then four characters I could speak to. Each of them offering me a different thing. So I then had the choices to what I could then use for the next level. So I chose a crossbow. But I like again that that choice that the player's given okay you could have the crossbow you could have this instead and then the players then got an active part in what they're using for their battles going forward yeah i i like that too i think the chalice the the way that they did the chalice in that first stage as well it, it was like an optional puzzle that you had to mm. solve but you get you get enough incentive that you might actually want to go and solve it so i quite like i quite like that you've got you've got choice even there like can i do without the thing do i actually want to engage with this puzzle 
it, it suits different play styles, different people. And certainly in that first level, you walk straight past it on your way through you the do. level. But I'm guessing in, in some of the other levels that it would be tucked away somewhere. So you've then got that that puzzling and figuring out to, to Yeah, well, to where's the it. chalice? Well, actually, exactly. to be fair, the, the second level, I did find the area the chalice was in. It was behind a locked door. I couldn't figure out how to get to it. So I just gave mm. up. So there you go. Second level, writ large. Mm. Uh, there, there is a map. I said in the first half about a map, but mm, it's just yeah. a, a bit like a like a Mario three kind of. Okay, here's this level. Follow the path. You go to this next level. There's no actual exploration within that. It's just a, a glorified option screen, I suppose. Right. But that is there. Um, yeah, I just uh, my my kind of my my final point really is just the game is just so charming. I was just so I I, I really really enjoyed my time with it. Everything about it, it was it was just great. Yeah. I, I did too, and um, I'm really glad to have played it. I, I don't think I'll go back to it, but I think that's part, fairly par for the course for most of the games that we um, we tackle. Um, but I'm not I'm not unhappy to have had my understanding of it um, and view of it corrected. I, I'm very glad to know know better. Well, at some point we will be playing the sequel, Medieval 2, which came out in 2000, because I had that as well, and I played that a lot more than Medieval, because I enjoyed it a lot more than Medieval, found it a lot more accessible. Okay. Medieval 2 is absolutely brilliant. It is set in a, the Victorian times, and they lent into the Victorian Gothic aesthetic. I talked about Dracula, actually, in the first mm. half. It's all that kind of Dracula, mm. Frankenstein type stuff. You can play those levels where Daniel's skull goes onto a little hand, those little things that we saw in the graveyard. Yeah. So you have levels like that. Um, there's a lot more story. There's a, a female character. I think you can play as her at some points as well. I remember a level where you're boxing some sort of creature as well. It's just, it's just, it's brilliant. It is so, hmm. so good. Eclectic, so it seems. It, it so. is, yeah. It, it really is. It takes, takes the original and just threw the kitchen sink at it. Brilliant. So that's that came out in 2000. And then in 2005, a title came out on the PSP as a launch title, Medieval Resurrection, which was a, quote, reimagining of the first game, Medieval. Oh, okay. Where, where they added in new quests, some levels were removed and some levels were changed. It had, amazingly, the narrator, there was a, a intro bit, there was a bit of text came up with someone talking and sort of setting the scene about what happened. And in this Medieval Resurrection, that is done by Tom Baker. Right, okay, yeah. You said about the one of the uh, actors in this was yeah uh, that kind of pedigree, so mm. that's kind of a, a route one uh, decision, isn't it? If you've if you've got the options, yeah, or two, right? Go for it. Uh, and that mm. one, that title, Medieval Resurrection, which, as I said, is a reimagining of this title that popped up on the PlayStation Four and Five store over the summer, so that is available to people now if people are interested in right. uh, medieval. And then in 2019, so 14 years later, Medieval was brought back from the dead again in a title simply called Medieval, which is another remake of this title, which came out on the PlayStation 4. So this yeah. game has been released three times over the last 25 years, well, less than 25 years, I suppose, 2019, over the, those 19 years. So originally on the PlayStation 1, then a reimagining on a PSP in 2005, and then a remake in 2019 on the PlayStation 4, which included extra objectives, an over-the-shoulder camera option, a bestiary, so you can actually keep track of all the enemies and, and who they are and what they do. It, however, did get quite mixed reviews and has got 67% on some website I looked at when I was looking into this. So yeah. that was the point at which medieval seems to have finished at this point now nothing else has happened with the franchise no. at all 
I think the implication of what you're saying is something that I um I think generally people wonder about and it's this um this idea that when a company re imagines remakes remasters uh, a a classic game is this like some kind of test bed or proving ground for the viability of a new one um I think it's a sensible thought I'm also not sure that it's always true unfortunately we talked to lovely weeks. to be able we talked to him two weeks ago about a constructor, didn't we? About how that was then there was a, a redoing yeah. of that, and then yeah. they then had the original alongside that with that quite clunky title. So yeah. I suspect you're probably right with this that they were okay. Let's let's dip our toe in the water and see if people are still interested. And um, because turns out maybe, maybe not. Yeah, but then it's that maybe the game's fault for not being so good. The remake, I don't know. Yeah. Mm. Well, um, there we go. There we go. Daniel Fortescue as a character has also popped up in 2012's PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale, which is essentially... Which has died a death. Yeah, which is a PlayStation version of Smash Brothers. Um, that was on the PlayStation 3. He also was a playable character, interestingly, in Everybody's Golf 2 on the PlayStation 1 in 1999. Mm. And as a bit of as an easter egg in guacamole 2 there is a portrait of dan in a building there's a, like ah. a, a mexican style version of him which you can find if you google guacamole 2 dan yeah. fortescue it, it popped up i thought it was pretty cool i really and liked guacamole and then never really got around to the sequel i think i i've i've got it on possibly two different platforms and still haven't played it yet so it's, it's that's a bit of a crime I've, I've looked at and kind of thought oh, i think i've been to that but i've just never got around to it Guacamole is really fun. Me and Hannah blasted through it in a weekend or something like that um, together as well, which is another selling mm. point for it. Um, it's just very well done. Um, Guacamole 2, I think, is more of the same, bigger, better. Um, but, yeah, just never never found the time, annoyingly. And while Medieval is languishing after the 2019 remake, uh, there was a game, we use this phrase quite a lot, spiritual successor, um, a game called Pumpkin Jack, which released in October 2020 through to October 2021 on PC, Xbox One, Xbox Series X and S, PlayStation 4, 5 and Switch, so everything basically. And if you Google it, it is essentially a new version of Medieval with a very similar style character, same kind of feelings, the same trappings. Um, it was mostly made by one person person interestingly and usually prices around 25 pounds but has been as low as one pound and nine p and it has got nine out of ten on steam so might be worth investigating if people are listening and thinking i want medieval maybe give that a go equally the medieval resurrection the psp version is available on playstation 4 and 5 so there's lots of options to get your medieval goodness yay and that's that oh that is that that's that thanks everybody Yes, thanks very much for listening and happy Halloween. Um, if you've enjoyed, remember to join us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, and like, share, subscribe, rate, and review, please. Yes, please. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for sticking around till the end. We will see you again next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.